cause of Christ, for the sake of Christ, if that is God's will. Now I want you to see a few things that Paul wrote in one of those final letters. This is a letter to Philippi, uh, to the church there, and this is written during one of his imprisonments as he wanted them to understand what God was doing while Paul was locked away in prison. Follow along with me. We're going to start at Philippians 1, verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. I want you to notice something here. Paul's in prison. He can't go about freely as he could, but God's word was not in prison. God's word was still going out. And from within this imprisonment, Paul still exerted as much influence as he could. In fact, he says the whole palace guard has heard about Christ. Every guard, every soldier has come to, to keep watch over me to make sure I don't try to run away or whatever, thought that I was the prisoner. But they're my prisoner because I can share the gospel with them. And so he did. And all of them and so many others had heard about Jesus Christ while he's in prison. He goes on. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Some of the brothers who didn't like Paul's popularity in the churches said, okay, now he's restricted. Let's go visit those churches and see if we can't have more influence than he. And so out of envy and strife, they went to preach the gospel. And Paul didn't, didn't buy it. Paul didn't fall into that trap. He just said, I'm just glad that the gospel is getting out, that it's still being preached. In fact, it is expanding. More churches are being helped than I could if I were personally visiting them. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, Paul wasn't sure in this imprisonment, his first one, that he would be set free, but he was content either way. If he were to die, he would immediately go to heaven, be with the Lord forever. If he were to continue living, that would be a benefit to the other Christians because he could continue to teach, continue to encourage their faith in Christ. And in the end, as he continues this letter, he reasons that God was probably going to leave him around, keep him working for a while. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. He was released, as I said. He traveled for another three or four years, and then he ended up back in prison in Rome. This time, however, he was in a dungeon, and the only way he was released was that he was executed. 
Now let's think for a moment what we've said all through this story that we've been going through. We were into week 30 out of 31 weeks. We're almost done with the story. And we've been talking about an upper story and a lower story all the way through. In the lower story where we live our lives, there is chaos and and confusion and struggles and sickness and imprisonments. People are getting hurt. People are dying for their faith. Sometimes we get feeling like the lower story is all there is. But wise Christians know that there's always an upper story. There is always the movement of God. There is always the activity of God over and above the din of this world. God has a perfect plan that will continue long after this earth has passed away. And He uses the upper story to guide and influence what is happening in the lower story. In fact, everything that happens in the lower story can contribute to the upper story of God's ultimate will. We may not understand it, but like Paul, we can say this is all for God's glory. It's ultimately going to work out for good. And while we're challenged, when we're sometimes discouraged, we do not despair because God will win in the end. We don't give up. We hang on. And we hang in there. The last time that Paul was in prison, he knew pretty well that this was the end. And he wrote another letter to Timothy. We call it Second Timothy in our New Testament. This was his dear son in the faith that he had been nurturing for the last 10 or 12 years of his life. And he writes to him these powerful words from 2 Timothy 4, 6. I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. That crown of righteousness that Paul wrote about was not anything he had earned. Even though he'd done great things for God, he says, this is awarded to me, not rewarded to me. This is something given to me because God wanted to give it. And by his grace, he has given us what he gave us in Jesus Christ, the, the righteousness of Christ, the salvation, the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus' righteousness is passed along to us as a gift, even though we don't deserve it. And God gives us heaven, even though we don't deserve heaven. And Paul was looking at the end of his life to receive what he had been promised from the beginning of that time that he followed Christ. There's a lady named Amy Carmichael that you may have may have heard of sometimes. She was a missionary in India for a very long time. She knew what it was to suffer for the gospel of Christ. She left her life of relative comfort in a small Irish village to pursue the Lord's call to mission work in India. First, she thought it was going to be China. As a 20-year-old, she heard the story firsthand from Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was a great missionary to China. In 1887, she heard him speak. And she was challenged. She, she rose up within her this desire, this passion to serve God in a place like China. And she tried for some months to get to China. She applied, but the missions board wouldn't let her go there because she had pretty, pretty uh, sick body. She, she had a, a, an illness called neuralgia. And this disease of the nerves weakened her body and, and left her without a lot of strength, left her achy all over. And so they said, 
that's not a place for you. Well, God had other ideas. God got her to India. And much of her work in India included rescuing children from forced prostitution in the Hindu temples. This is the way it worked. If you were a child in in India at that time, uh, if the Hindu temple decided to, to grab you, maybe your parents would even sell you to them, you would become a prostitute within that temple. You had no choice of that as a child. And so she would go and she would rescue these young girls mostly and that had been dedicated to the gods that were actually pushed into prostitution in order to raise money for the priests who were very wicked. Amy never married. Instead, she served in India for 56 years without ever going home again, without furlough. She poured her life into evangelistic work and into a mission that she created there, which was a hospital and also three large orphanages. And they, through that, provided shelter and care for over 1,000 children, many of them that they had rescued. In the last 20 years of her life, she was badly injured in a fall that left her confined to bed almost exclusively for those 20 years. Nevertheless, she used that time to direct the mission, the operations there, and to write some of her 35 published books to encourage others. She died finally in India at the age of 83. Now, Amy Carmichael had much in common with the Apostle Paul. Her missionary work led her to rescue temple prostitutes from idolatrous destruction. And Paul had a similar experience in Ephesus, where he rescued women from the temple prostitution at the temple of Artemis. The spiritual conditions of India and Ephesus were similar. They both included a lot of God and goddess worship, as well as sorcery. And so they were battling the same elements. Both of them were afflicted with painful physical ailments. Both of them used their confinements to serve the Lord in writing and teaching and developing other leaders. So the church actually grew, even though they themselves were confined. The thing that impresses me both about both of these saints, however, the thing that they have most in common is their perseverance. Their perseverance, their steadfastness to the very end of their lives, their passion for sharing the gospel of Jesus never let up. Lost souls compelled them to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to keep the faith. Perhaps Amy was thinking of Paul's words in Philippians, to live as Christ, to die as gain. When she answered a letter from a young woman, late in life she received this letter from this young woman who had asked Amy, what is missionary life like? And she wrote back this simple statement, missionary life is simply a chance to die. (laughs) Kind of a gloomy thing. But when you think about it, you think of all these missionaries, some of them who literally die for the faith, but all of them who must first die to themselves and die to their personal desires. And remember who we are. We are missionaries. And God calls every Christian to die to themselves, to die to their personal desires, whether they ever have to physically die for Jesus or not. Neither Paul nor Amy hesitated to take the gospel of Christ to less than ideal places. Both of them poured out their lives for Christ. Both of them persevered, even in the face of suffering. And so can we. Let me tell you a little more about someone else that we met last week. His name is John Mark. 
John Mark was the guy that went with Paul and Barnabas on their very first missionary journey. Remember, he was Barnabas' cousin, and he went along as a helper. He went along maybe to carry the baggage and to supply them with whatever they needed and maybe to keep working so that they could have time to share the gospel with others. Now, I identify with him because my name is John Mark. Maybe you didn't know that. My parents actually spelled it kind of funny, but it's John Mark nevertheless. And so I've always been interested. Who is this guy? What is his story? And as I looked at that a little bit deeper, I realized the end of the story wasn't John Mark's failure. Remember, he went with them on that first missionary journey, and they went over to the island of Cyprus, and they went to the other end of the island. Then they sailed north, and they got up to the, the southern part of Asia Minor. And they got to that first little town, and John Mark says, uh, this is not what I signed up for. I'm going home. And he abandoned them. He left these, these two uh, very passionate uh, evangelists, missionaries, alone. He said, uh, sorry, I said I would help, but I'm going home. Maybe he was homesick. Maybe he got scared. Maybe he got too tough. I don't know what it was, but he failed them. He really failed them. And they went to do their second missionary journey. Remember, we talked about that. They're thinking, we should go back and visit the churches that we started. And so they're getting ready to go, and Paul and Barnabas are talking about it. And Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with us again. And Paul says, no way. No way are we taking that guy. You know, he's a failure. He abandoned us. We can't count on him. And imagine if you were John Mark, and you're somewhere around, and you're listening to this conversation. And they're criticizing you. They're critiquing what you had done. And now John Mark is this heartbroken young man who is hearing the Apostle Paul say, you know, there's a lot of other young people I would encourage, a lot of other people I would take, but not him, because he failed us. He abandoned us. Maybe John Mark could have been discouraged and just said, well, forget it. I will never amount to anything. I might as well just pack my bags, leave, You know, just, just fold up shop. This is it. I, I can't serve God. But instead of being defeated, by his failure, he decided this would be a wake-up call for his life. That Paul's criticism would motivate him to grow and to mature as a servant of Christ. And as he grew, God began to use him in great ways. He went with Barnabas on the second journey that Barnabas took. Not Paul's journey, but he went with Barnabas. And they went back to the island of Cyprus. And they started visiting churches around that way. And they did a great work for God there. And John Mark now is not just... The baggage guy, he's doing some of the teaching, some of the preaching. Later on, what else does he do? He writes the Gospel of Mark under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who gave us the Gospel of Mark based largely on the stories that Peter had shared of his personal experiences with Christ. Later on, Paul mentions him. You see him kind of growing. Uh, this guy might be valuable after all. And he writes to the Colossian church. He says, when John Mark comes through, welcome him because you know, he's worthy of being welcomed. He's, he's a good brother in the Lord. And when he writes to, to uh, Philemon, another short little letter at the end of our New Testament, he includes John Mark along with Demas and Luke as three of his helpers who are with him making sure his ministry grows. So John Mark's already there. And at the end of his life now, in 2 Timothy, he writes to Timothy and he says, the time is near. About ready to, to, to end this whole journey. It's about over. Come before winter, if you can, and bring John Mark with you because he is very helpful to me. I want to see him again one last time, in other words. This is one that we couldn't trust, 
but now he's become very valuable to me. I want you to know people can change. People who fail can succeed. People who have abandoned someone, people who have hurt someone, people who have failed God can be used by God later in their lives. But they must make a change. And this is what John Mark did. You can change. I can change. Once we know who we are and what God wants us to do with our lives, we can change and we can become the kind of people that God can use in marvelous ways, in powerful ways. You may be a Susan Boyle. Others may criticize you. They may look at your appearance and say, you're not going to amount to anything, or they just don't give you a chance. Other people will look down on you, not give you any credit for the good that you might be able to do for God. Maybe you're a John Mark. Maybe you're a failure. Maybe you have messed up so badly, you're thinking, I can't do anything good. I'll never amount to anything for God's cause in this world. I'll never be part of the story that God is writing. You may be an Amy Carmichael. You may be someone like Saul of Tarsus. You might be someone who just grabs onto things and grows strong in the struggle and just holds on to Christ to the end. The point is that every person in this room can be used by God in some way. And I want to encourage you today that God has a plan for your life. God has something you can do to benefit his kingdom. You may be a person with physical or emotional disabilities. Maybe you have personal storms of one type or another going on in your life. Maybe they're financial storms. Maybe they're marital storms. Maybe they're job-related storms. Maybe your life right now is filled with unusual stress or hardship of some kind. And you may be wondering, how can I do what the preacher's talking about today? Some of your family thinks you're crazy to even try that. Maybe you're not under threat of imprisonment, but you are under the threat of rejection or, or maybe isolation or ridicule or criticism. Christ's followers face challenges. That's the reality of life. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a rose garden. It's going to be a struggle at times. And there are going to be times in your life when you want to throw in the towel and give up. But Christ has promised His presence. And He has promised His grace. And He has promised you whatever you need to be able to successfully do the ministry He has called you to. Apostle Paul learned that. In his final words, he shared some of the secret of his strength. He wrote in his last letter that we have in the New Testament, it's in 2 Timothy, these words to Timothy. Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And of this gospel, he says, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. This was the bottom line conviction of Paul's life. I know whom I have believed. I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. 
Maybe you're laboring away today for Christ within circumstances, an environment, uh, whatever the situation may be in your life that, that's not ideal. I don't know anybody's life in here that's ideal. Do you? But God uses us in those moments. Doing your thing for the glory of God is what you just got to keep doing. You're loving your kids. You're maybe teaching first graders or 10th graders. You're showing up at work. You're serving your customers. You're hanging in there with your wife or husband to make a good marriage. And it's not easy. You're taking one day, things one day at a time. Life comes with challenges. Life comes with storms. But let me remind you of something very important. That you are a living epistle. You are a living letter of God declaring to others His love by your very life, by your words, by your actions. You are a living letter that God is using and He is communicating through your life what He communicated through the Apostle Paul long before he wrote any of this down. By his words and by his actions, God communicated his love to a dying world that was without Christ and without hope. So don't be discouraged. Never underestimate what God can do in your life. The real change makers are not those who are, are walking a red carpet somewhere, but those who are quietly working under the radar, behind the scenes, Showing the love of God to people day after day in quiet, unassuming ways. And those are the people who are touching lives. Those are the people who are making a difference. Those who are touching lives one life at a time. Most of us look awfully ordinary, don't we? <laughs> we feel a lot like Susan Boyle sometimes. And the church, the church, this church, New Hope Christian Church is ordinary unusually ordinary. Nothing that just stands out and says, wow, that church is going to go somewhere. But guess what? By God's grace, we discover that appearances are deceiving. Just look what happens by God's grace when we open our mouths and we start to sing for Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray for your grace to be upon us as your church. We know that you have a story that needs to be written in our lives, and we need to be that living letter that you use. Bless us today, Lord, as, as we strive with daily life, as we face the struggles, the stresses, as we face the difficult people, as we go through circumstances beyond our control, as we deal with the problems we created. Whatever it may be, Lord, we ask that you be with us by your grace for the daily life that we live. May your upper story come clearly through our lower story experiences. May Jesus be lifted up. May the name of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus just come through our lives to the people around us that are, do not know Him. The people that are lost. The people that are hopeless. The people that need your help. And may lives be changed. First of all, our own. May you change us by your Spirit. May you mold and shape us. And then may you use us to change other lives as our lives touch their lives. 
Bless us today, Lord, as, as individual believers. Bless us as a church that this ministry would grow beyond anything we could imagine. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.